This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are the old world, picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. If you know me, and many of you probably do by now, you know that 23 years ago, I lost my husband, Jay, to colon cancer when he was just 42. Words, of course, will never describe how devastating this loss has been for me and my daughters and all of Jay's family as well. But the heartfelt and compassionate letters and cards that so many of you sent to me were... Perhaps you also know that after his death, I dedicated much of my time to raising money for cancer research and spreading the word about the importance of getting screened. Hi, everybody. Here we are in my kitchen. It's about 18 hours plus before I get my first colonoscopy. And um... I also co-founded with a number of other strong-willed women, Stand Up to Cancer. It's been incredibly gratifying, but losing a partner and losing the father of my daughters isn't something you ever really get over. And frankly, it was and still is hard to explain to anyone who hasn't gone through it how excruciating it is to watch someone you love deteriorate. No, they can't know what it's like. They can never know what it's like. Stanley Tucci understands. He lost his wife, Kate, to breast cancer in 2009 and became a member of a unique club of widows and widowers, people who understand. So when I recently interviewed Stanley about his charming new memoir called Taste, My Life Through Food, I wanted to ask him about his own recently disclosed cancer diagnosis, as well as our shared experience of losing our partners and co-parents. Stanley and Kate had three kids together. When their mom was diagnosed, she was diagnosed at stage four. I mean, which unfortunately is is too common. And there was, you know, she struggled for four years. My husband was diagnosed at stage four too. 
He was. And, uh, you know, was just so sick and, uh, you know, only lived for nine months. So I, I totally relate to that. And you keep thinking, well, you have to be really, really sick to get really, really to get well. But you keep hoping against hope that, well, yeah. maybe you'll be that small percentage of people who respond or maybe a new treatment will come along that will yes, help, I know. you know, keep you going until an even better treatment comes along. Right. Um, right. I write a lot about that in my book and uh, how I was sort of in death denial. But we'll talk about that yeah. another time. No, I wanted, no, no. We, I, I, we, we are. We, I was I was, too. I was completely in death denial, even though, you know, you see it coming, you know it's going to happen, but you just don't want to acknowledge it. And I think there's something weird about protecting the person. Yes. And then you wonder, is it is it protecting them or is it misleading them? And, you know, I have all sorts of regrets about that. Um, but I think it's pretty common, actually, that... It's very common. It's too hard to face face reality. And I, I think as a society or even the medical profession needs to needs to help people because I always thought if we talked about Jay's death, that meant we were giving up hope. And mm. I just didn't I felt like to rob him of hope would rob him of any any small pleasures he was getting out of his life. I don't know if you felt that way too. I did. I, of course I felt that. I felt exactly the same way. And in the end, you know, the person who's sick is the person who's most truthful. And uh, it was very hard. She, she knew. I mean, she knew. And there was this one moment that was very specific when we came out of this one doctor's office and you know, they had shown that there were lesions on her brain. Mm. And we both just knew that sort of that was it. It was making the, its natural progression, the disease. And it, the last place it goes is the brain. And so we had been incapable of stopping that. And when we sat in the car and, you know, she started crying and she said, I don't want to die. And I said, I know. I know, you're not going to die. <sighs> and then you just keep moving forward from there. And, but I knew that most likely, yes, she would die. And she knew. And yet you couldn't discuss it. No, we discussed it to a certain extent. And then, you know, then we moved on and we did keep, we would talk about it, but... You can only talk about it for so long. And then, and I remember going and talking about her will and life insurance and all that stuff with the lawyer. And it was just terrible. And she was very matter of fact about it. Because she, she had to be. Anyway, anyway. I was sort of, I was sort of a practitioner in, of toxic positivity. You know, like Jay had brain mets too. Uh, and I remember we went to the oh, doctor. He did. Yeah, Oof. he had uh, it traveled from north. It was marching northward from his liver to his lung, 
He had a tumor on the back of his eye, and then he had brain mets in pretty short order. And every time, you know, the cancer would further metastasize, I would say, don't worry, we'll figure it out, or okay, we'll get radiation. And it was just the only way I knew how to keep going. Of course. And here's the thing is that we can say that, oh, we're giving the person false hope or we're giving ourselves false hope, but how else, how else do you go on? If you just give up, if you just give up, what happens? What happens to the kids? What happens to the person who's sick? You can't. You have to keep trying. Unfortunately, we don't have the science. We don't have the tools to save anybody who's suffering like that. So we, we, but we implement them anyway. And that, in some ways, makes it even worse because there is no point to doing whole brain radiation. What would be the point of that? It doesn't work, right? What would be the point of, you have 11 lesions on your brain. We're going to target each one of them, but we know it's basically going to come back. So we have to get to a point where the medical community and the victims and their families make make decisions together and not just go, oh, no, we're going to just do this whole brain radiation with you and completely kill your, is it your amygdala? Yes. Is that the right word? So that what happens is then, from what I was told, you, there's no connection between your body and your brain. So the whole thing falls apart. And that's because of the radiation. So why do you do it? Why are we doing it? And, and not to mention, in certain countries like America, the expense of it. And that is really disturbing. We have to figure out a way, first of all, to cure it. Second of all, that people need to be able to make a decision and go, I'm not going to do that. Because it can make it even worse. Right. And some people do, but I think more often than not, people die trying, right? There you go. Well, I'm so sorry, Katie. I'm so sorry. Well, I know it's been a long time for you and for me too, but you never, you never get over it. When we come back, we dive into Stanley's memoir, his passion for food and his own cancer diagnosis. That's right after this. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. In addition to all of his acting accolades, Stanley Tucci is the author of two cookbooks, The Tucci Cookbook and The Tucci Table, which he co-wrote with his wife, Felicity Blunt. The two married in 2012 and have two children together. Stanley knows his way around food writing. So when the book publisher, Simon & Schuster, approached him to write another book, he figured he had it covered. I always thought that it would sort of take the form of, of um, observations, musings, some experiences, some recipes. Um, and then when I, when I spoke to them, when I spoke, spoke to them, they said, um, they said, you know, don't, we would really like to have like a memoir. And I was like, what are you talking? <laughs> I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And they said, well, would you give it a try and see? Because just try it. So I tried it and, and that, and I ended up with this, but I, so it was never my intention really to write a memoir. What was it like the process for you? Well, it was, it was strange because I, I felt like I, I kept saying to Felicity, I, I kept saying, I don't, I don't know that I really have enough to say. And I, I think I'm, I only have this many pages, you know, I don't have anything. I got, I got nothing left. I don't know. She goes, Stanley, stop it. Think about when, remember the story you told me about the blah, blah, blah. Or do you remember when you told me that when you were young and this happened and, and you were that thing that your mother made and the blah, blah, blah. Or what about the, and I said, oh, oh yeah. You think that would be interesting? <laughs> she goes, yes. So I just go back and write, you know, and, but it was great. I really needed her to, to help me because, well, you doubt yourself and you're afraid of boring people. Well, let's talk about the book because I know you use food really to, to as the engine for the narrative instead of film, which obviously has played an equally important role in your life. And I wondered about that until I came to the last chapter and mm. I read about you know, your cancer diagnosis. Right. I don't want to dwell on it because I imagine, Stanley, you don't want to dwell on it, but it was pretty shocking when I read that. 
how did that inform sort of what you wrote, even though you would always plan to write about food? Did it take a different tenor or tone as a result of what you had experienced, which sounds absolutely awful, by the way? Yeah, it was pretty awful. I'm not going to lie. And anybody who's been through it, and, and a lot, a lot of people have been through this kind of cancer. Um, yeah, it's, it's very unpleasant. And, you know, I still suffer from the, <clears throat> the effects of the radiation. Like how? Well, I still can't eat everything I want to eat. I certainly can't eat anything spicy. I have difficulty. I still don't have enough saliva. So you can't just sort of go, oh, I'll eat that sandwich. You know, eating that sandwich takes quite a while. <laughs> So you're constantly drinking water and, you know, trying to have enough sort of some sort of condiment to help you through it. Um, and certain things you can eat, no problem. That's not a problem. So, you know, as I said in the book, I, I lived mostly on a vegetarian diet for a long time because I couldn't eat meat. Um, so it was mostly soft foods and all that. And it's still it's still I, I, I have to gravitate towards towards that. And you had it, um, which is which is fine. It was a tumor, a squamous cell tumor yeah. at the base of your tongue. Yeah. Uh, and your jaw started hurting, like mm. a, excruciating, right? Pain oh, in yeah. your jaw. Oh, yeah. For two years. Well, Stanley, two years. why didn't you get it checked before? Well, I did. The problem is it was missed. And I don't know how it was missed. I had a prominent uh, ENT here look at it. Uh, I had... I, I had a scan. I had um, uh, a friend of mine who's a, a neurosurgeon and a colleague of his in New York. I had it done all over the world and it was missed. And then eventually I was like, oh, I don't know what this is. I was getting acupuncture. I was getting massage. I was doing all these things. And suddenly, the, finally, the tumor just got so big that uh, I was sent to this, fee sent me, to this guy was a salivary gland doctor, but obviously deals with cancer. And he just opened up my mouth and then within a second he went, oh my God, this huge tumor. Um, so I hadn't had a scan for quite a while and the original scan missed it. Um, so anyway, um, it was unfortunate, but it was fortunate in the sense that we got it in time and that it had not metastasized. It was fortunate. That, that's and- key. I mean, I was so relieved, you know, um, there are so many different kinds of cancers with so many different kind of prognoses. And the fact that the treatment you had at Mount Sinai, which was radiation, very specific to the region and chemotherapy, I read had a 90% success rate. Thank God. Um, Yeah. That's the good news. Getting there, however, was not half the fun because it was extremely (laughs) excruciating, the treatment with the radiation and the chemo. And it was a two-year treatment, Stanley. Is that right? No, no, no. No, the treatment was only 35 days. The the result of the treatment, the effects of the treatment, three years on now. So it's three over three years since I finished treatment. And I'm still not back to normal what what Um, were some of the what were some of the side effects you lose your taste and smell but you don't lose it what happens is 
everything that you smell and everything that you taste tastes like you know what. And <clears throat> to the point where you can't, um, you can't, if someone has eaten and they've walked into the room, you have to just say, get out of the room. <laughs> really? I can't stand it. Oh, no, you can't. Uh, if you open the refrigerator, normally you open a refrigerator, what do you smell? You know, unless something is open, it's been there for, what do you smell? Nothing. It's a refrigerator. It keeps things cool. The, the, the odors get sort of numbed, right? I open a refrigerator at that point, and when I'm getting through treatment and finishing treatment, and it was, a, as I wrote in the book, a wall of stink. It was incredible. I couldn't be near anything that, and no matter what it was, um, I was so nauseous that I could just, all I could do was lay in bed. I was so nauseous from the radiation. You're in terrible pain because it's destroying all the soft tissue in your mouth and you have, you're riddled with ulcers. Um, plus you're just in pain. So you're taking morphine, you're, you're on fentanyl patches. You can't swallow even water. So you have to then hydrate yourself either through intravenous or I finally had a feeding tube put in after five weeks. And I stayed with that uh, feeding tube for six months. You lost 30 pounds and you needed mm. to get nourishment. So you had that kind mm. of feeding tube that you put, I think that it's called something like a peg. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Like a peg or something. I can't remember. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you had to get, get nourishment through a feeding tube. And, you know, as I hear you describe this, Stanley, it's like such a cruel irony for someone <laughs> who gets so much pleasure from food whose very existence seems to be colored in the most beautiful way by food and drink. And um, did did that strike you at the time like WTF? Yeah, yeah. Hello. I mean, really, any other part of me. Please take it, you know, but not that. <laughs> Please, not that. And I thought, I was so afraid. I thought, well, I'm never going to be able to eat again. I'm never going to be able to share a great meal or cook a great meal with my family and or friends. That is really my, my, li my life. Um, so also it was quite ironic that CNN came to me and I was just like, six months out of treatment. And CNN came to me and said, do you have any ideas for a show? And I said, well, I have this idea. And I had three different ideas. And they were all involved. Uh, one was about cancer. The other was about uh, refugees and food. And then I gave them this idea. It was an idea I've had for a very long time. I'm Stanley Tucci. I'm Italian on both sides, and I'm traveling across Italy to discover how the food in each of this country's 20 regions is as unique as the people and their past. You know, we made the deal, we found a production company, we started making it, and there I am shooting in Italy, and I'm still not able to eat a lot of stuff. I can taste everything at that point, but there's a lot of stuff that I still can't swallow. So I started the show like a little over a year after treatment. And I honestly don't even know how I did it. <laughs> were you faking it? Were you, were in some instances, were you like, oh, that's really good? No, no, no. I could taste it. 
So I didn't, there was never a lie there, but there's no question that they had to, they would, I would ask them to cut away or I would turn myself away and I have to take something out of my mouth because I was going to choke on it. That's insane, Stanley. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Was it, was it therapeutic though, doing that uh, documentary series because, I don't know, you got to get away from what you'd been through and and do something you loved, even though you were compromised? Yes, Uh, it was very, I think it was therapeutic and it was, it was incredibly, incredibly positive. It was a difficult experience, not only because I was compromised, which is simply said, logistically, it's a very difficult thing to to do. We've, We've refined it now, so we're better at it. I'm about to go start again to do three more episodes and we, we have a, a really wonderful group of people put together and, you know, so we're, it's going to be a little more efficient, I think. Um, but yes, it was, it was something that I've never done before, obviously. And, and it was a story that I always wanted to tell. And so I felt good about that. And I felt good that I was up out and about. What else kind of got you through that period Uh because it does sound like hell. I imagine Felicity was unbelievable in in that instance too. Yeah, she got me through it. I mean, she got me through it. She found the doctor. Uh, I was, you know, I was really adamant that I was not going to do standard of care because I saw what happened to Kate, and I had met a lot of doctors that I didn't trust. I met a lot I did trust, but I didn't trust the system. Uh, however, when, as you said before, when you look at the statistics, you look at that prognosis, you look at those numbers, you go like, mm, you have to be kind of an idiot if you don't do that. And I just wanted to get better. Um, I'm still a believer in a certain alternative treatments and supplements and, and things like that. Uh, but I think if you, you just, every cancer is different, as you know, and we, you just have to look at what, what do you have? Uh, what are the, what, what's the standard of care? What are the statistics? And are you going to do that? Or are you going to augment it with something else? Or are you just going to do something else? And I think that people forget that it's their body. They should be able to do what they want, but they get afraid and they suddenly are just doing something that might kill them before the cancer kills them. It's a very imperfect uh, situation when it comes to cancer therapies. You know, so often they're diagnosed so late. You know, you were lucky in that there was a treatment option that was quite successful and and that it hadn't metastasized because I think the, the horrible thing about cancer is it's so often diagnosed when it's, when you're symptomatic and you're usually symptomatic when it's, you know, yeah. in a very serious Too situation. Late. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, that's a really, it's such a tragedy. I, I think people are becoming much more aware of it now. People are getting tested, you know, for, you know, your prostate is getting checked, your bowels are getting checked, your everything is getting checked much much more uh, frequently now and cancer screenings are happening much more frequently now. The thing is they simply have to be made available 
and and accessible and affordable to people. I agree. And and they're not in this country. It's much better. Really. In America, yeah. In America, we know that doesn't. If you don't have insurance, that's it. Well, I'm really working hard with Stand Up to Cancer and some of my other efforts because um, not only do the screen methods have to be available, they have to be, uh, you know, not cost prohibitive, to your point. And, um, you know, there still aren't enough screening tests for things like pancreatic cancer, ovarian cancer. There yep. are many cancers that are such silent killers um, that we need to really figure out how we identify them at, a, at an early stage and then treat them as soon as possible. And, you know, during the pandemic, Stanley, a lot of people uh, had to forego or out of choice, I know. didn't want I know. to get screened. And that is going to translate, sadly, into many more cancer mortalities. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm always really, preaching, yeah. you know, and, and a friend of mine was saying when it comes to fixing the healthcare system, just make sure that people are able to see a doctor once a year. Imagine how many things could be eliminated if that was just part of everyone's, you know, standard of care. Yes, I, I, I agree. The problem is that we we don't we don't <laughs> we don't have that. The, the, the more, you know, um, the better informed you are, the more proactive you can be. And ultimately, the, the, the healthier you'll be. It would save gazillions of dollars were people simply to have a physical every year that was completely free for them. And then you go from there. And the proper tests, right? The proper yeah, screening. The proper, proper tests, the proper screening. I think that also this very, some interesting stuff has been coming out of the, all this COVID uh, horror uh, and the way that they were able to fast track the vaccines and everything. Um, and I think with with AI, they're they're going to be able to screen for things and find things now much more quickly, much more efficiently, much more affordably than ever before um, and create new tests to find things where you won't have to get a scan. They'll be able to find it in your blood. Right. They'll be able to find it in whatever. I'm going to move on from the cancer. But the one thing I also no, wonder- I want to keep talking about it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered and worried about is your children having lost their mom uh, a decade earlier. Uh, you know, in the course, I live in fear of this, Stanley. Yeah, yeah uh, of course. Because I have two da daughters and they were six and two when their dad died. Uh, and I, that had to go through your mind, not to mention the fact that you were about to become a father for the fifth time. As Rod Stewart once told me, Stanley, when I asked him, Rod, what are you doing having all these babies at your age? He goes, they're still lead in the old pencil, Kate. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Jesus. There's an image now that I have in my head forever. Thanks a lot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, because I just yeah. took this in a very different direction, Stanley, but... I, I mean, as a dad and as a, a widower, honestly, and uh, this, this must have been been very tough for your kids. Yeah, it was hard for them. Uh, the older kids were very. Um, yeah, I knew it was really hard for them, uh, but they 
I could feel them just pull back um, to protect themselves. And that made perfect sense. And they'd be very sweet and very nice, but I knew that they were like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to know. All I want to do is hope. And I completely understood that. Um, and I, cause I was really not accessible to them. They were just watching this like practically sort of skeletal creature walk around complaining. <laughs> um, and yeah, telling them complain. to leave if they had eaten anything. Yeah. Don't yeah, What do you do? You smell horrible. Um, and, but yeah, I was really hard with Mateo. I knew Mateo who was three at the time. Um, it was hard for him too, because he saw me not engaged, like completely disengaged and he didn't really fully understand it. And as I was healing, I remember one time going to try to read to him in bed and I couldn't even read a story to him. I mean, this was, you know, a few months after treatment and I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to read a story. My voice wasn't strong enough to read an entire children's book. Um, and it was hard. And, I, and about a year later or so, I remember him crying one night and telling me that he was afraid that I was going to die. That he really knew. I mean, because they know. I mean, you know, we're animals. We know when somebody's sick. We feel it. We smell it. You know, we sense it. And he, he knew. And now, now it's fine. Now it's fine. Now he just hurls abuse at me. It's fine. When we come back, we dig into a very important subject, Stanley's friendship with Ryan Reynolds, plus excerpts and how-tos from Stanley's book. Stay tuned. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are the old world, picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. (laughs) 
I'm very jealous that you're such good friends with Ryan Reynolds. I'm jealous, too. I'm jealous about it. Yet another reason I want to be Stanley Tucci. But how did you guys get to know each other? Because Emily and Felicity are sisters, uh, I should mention. Yes. But and then he acted with with Emily or how did you guys get? No, to no, be- no. No, we were I was in Westchester. We were like Fee had moved in. Felicity had moved in to live with me and the kids for two years. And. You know, we weren't quite sure. I thought I was really going to end up living there with Felicity. And after two years, she was like, no, I don't think so. I think we're going to move back to England. And But while we were there, Emily emailed Fee and she said, you know, Blake Lively, I've, I've you know, spent some time with Blake Lively. She's really fun and really wonderful. And, and Ryan and why, you know, they're literally two miles from your house. Why don't you? Here's her email. We started emailing. We got together. Within 30 minutes, we were, <laughs> I felt like I had known them forever. Within a week, my kids, who were, you know, like 11 and 13 at the time, uh, were sleeping over at their house. Um, we, I realized uh, Ryan reminded me that we had been in a movie together so many years ago, when he was like 19 or something, I, I don't have no recollection of it. And um, anyway, we just became the closest friends. And then soon after that, very soon after that, we moved. But we've remained great, great friends. You took him to the doctor and tell us, set that scene for us. Yeah, well, I didn't want him to come. I was staying, I, I flew back to New York. It was for my six month uh, scan. So I flew back to New York and I was staying with them in the apartment. And I think Blake was away. Uh, Blake was away working and Ryan was there. So it was just me and Ryan. And I, he goes, do you want me to come with you? And I said, no. And Felicity kept saying to me, Stanley, cause she couldn't come. She said, Stanley, I want someone to be with you. And I was like, no. I don't want anyone with me. I'll be fine. It's fine. No matter what the news is, it'll be fine. She said no. And then she, Ryan said, I really want to come with you. And I said, no, you're not coming with me. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Of course, Felicity had spoken to him, unbeknownst to me. I had written this in the book, but I cut it out, where she said, you need to go with him. And he was like, I know I do. I'm going to go. So then he convinced me that he never told me that. Uh, He said, okay, I'm going to, he was so sweet. He was like, I'm getting you a car. You're going to go up there and I'm, you just call me when you're, when you're about to go in and then I'll come up. And so I, I called him and, and he came up and of course walked into the room where I was getting the news and, the entire staff was beside themselves and <laughs> both male and female. And I mean, it was, it was quite, it was quite something. And he was so sweet when they gave me the news that, you know, you, you've got the all clear. There's no evidence of disease. And he started crying. I did I didn't cry. I was, <laughs> I didn't know what to feel except happy, but he started crying. 
which made the nurses fall even more in love with him. I know, I know. And the woman who was one of the oncologists, she had to take, I said, can I take out this feeding tube? And they were like, yeah, let's wait for the doctor. I said, I don't want to wait for the doctor. I don't want to wait for the feeding tube guy. Can we just get it out? And they go, yeah, just have to pull it out. Ooh. So she, so she said, oh, I'll do it. And she started doing it. And because I n- knew how it worked, she just started pulling. And I was like, wait, you can't, don't, what are you doing? She goes, no, I'm taking it out. I go, you have to deflate the balloon in order to get it out of me. She goes, oh my God, yes, you're right. I'm so sorry, I forgot. But I think she was so flummoxed by, what's his name? You know, that I, you know, (laughs) oh my God. Anyway, it was all fine. I do (laughs) want to just get back to some of the wonderful things since we had such an intense, serious conversation about this, Stanley. Yes, we but, do. Yeah, we did, but, yeah. But about sort of the love of food that that you have in this book. And you, um, you, you talk about a lot of recipes. I love your, your drink recipes. I was going to make one and just sip it while we had our conversation, especially the Negroni, which I think your last line is take a sip and feel the sunshine in your inside or something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I> <laughs> um, or remember, become yeah. a new person with your martini. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but you do talk about the liveliness of an Italian Christmas. And I thought if you could read uh, chapter seven, it's in a section called Christmas Day that starts upon hearing the sound of tires. But maybe yeah. why don't you just kind of set this in for little, us? Yeah, I'll see. Yeah. So on Christmas Day in my house growing up, there was a dish called timpano that we used as the centerpiece of the film in Big Night, of the, of the meal in Big Night. And a timpano is a very complicated dish. It's a very old-fashioned dish. It's a very heavy dish. And It sounds yeah, like a nightmare. Can I just say it sounds like a nightmare uh, to make? Why would anybody want to make this dish? Because it's really good. <laughs> For certain people. I love it. Most people don't like it, but I love it. So <laughs> this dish is its incredibly heavy. It takes a long time to make. It's very delicate. It's very temperamental. Um, and it's very hard to eat anything else with it because it's so big. So the meal timing of the meal gets thrown off and it's every cook's nightmare. Can you explain what it is before you read this? Yeah, it's a big, um, it's basically like um, if you were to take like a pasta dough or a a pasta-like dough and you lay it, it, you you roll it out to a a sizable circle and you put it into like a Le Creuset or something like that, you know, like a Dutch oven uh, or an enamel basin. And then you fill it with ziti, you fill it with a meat-based ragu, you fill it with um, salami, provolone, cheese, you fill it with little meatballs, you fill it with (laughs) uh, hard-boiled eggs, egg yolk, and this ragu, as I said, and pecorino romano cheese. So it's very salty, it's very uh, heavy, and so you cook it, you cover it up with the, with the dough, you cook it, then when you take it out, you flip it over, 
you take off the pot, hopefully, and what you're presented with is basically something that looks like a timpani drum, hence the name timpano. Um, you let it cool and then you slice it like a cake and you see all the sort of layers of everything that you've put in. It's very beautiful. As I said, it's, it's like cilantro. You either love it or you hate it. So this was made every Sunday. It's a very particular taste, but my, it was just a tradition, but you can't time a meal with it because it's very fickle. So anything else you cook afterward is like, yeah, it might work. Yeah, who cares? But also you can't eat it because you're too full from the thing, from the timpano. And you, <laughs> and you can't time a ham or a goose or a whatever. So Kate would get, wasn't very happy about that. And Felicity, I thought really might be okay with it. She felt exactly the same way. So anyway, I'll, I'll read this. So my parents would bring this all the time. My mother doesn't really even care for a timpano. My father is the one who loves it. So this is what, so we think that when you wake up on Christmas morning, you're going to languish with the kids a little bit, hang around and play with toys. No, no. Upon hearing the sound of car tires on the gravel drive, and a moment later, the shouts of Merry Christmas from my parents' mouths, I would sheepishly look at Kate. She would sigh quietly, and then, as she slowly turned and stared at me, I would see something die in her eyes. At this point, my anxiety level would skyrocket, and I'd flit off to the bar, see if I couldn't find liquid calm in a Bloody Mary or a Scotch Sour. Laden with gifts and platters of food, including the pièce de résistance, shrouded in a large dishcloth, this is the timpano, my elegantly dressed parents would climb the stairs, smiling from ear to ear, as thrilled to see us as if we'd all been separated for decades, when in fact we had only just seen them the night before. They were so happy and excited, how could I even think of being put out by their extremely early arrival? Well, perhaps not so much me as my poor wife. I will tell you how. The timpano. <laughs> you featured the timpano in Big Night, which you yeah. wrote and directed. Did you direct Big Night? Yeah, I co-wrote co it with my cousin and co-directed co it with Campbell Scott. Was that an homage to Kate Stanley? Where, here in the book? The timpano. Uh, no, Big Night. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that was just, you know, my cousin and I, it just seemed like the right choice because it is so difficult. And it's only, you know, an accomplished chef would attempt such a thing. And that's why we put it in. Because the character of Primo, played by Tony Shalhoub, would always just make things more difficult than they had to be. Timpano oh my is a pasta. No. With a special crust. No. See, no, and is it no. is it shaped like no. like a drum, no. like a timpani drum? What are you doing? Why don't you do something? And the inside. Come on, please, my God! All of the most important things in the world. Speaking of difficult Italians, you write in your yes. book that they can be very dogmatic when it comes to food, and uh, certainly with the timpano, that's a case in point. But there seems to be a right way of doing things, and then the other way of doing. So we thought we'd have some fun 
with with Stanley Tucci's how tos, little food and life lessons based on the dogmatic Italian ways. So here, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Stanley Tucci's how tos. Let's start (laughs) easy. And I love this idea. It's brilliant. Why didn't I ever think of how to butter corn? Mm. Oh, the best. Explain. The best. Katie, I'm telling you, it's incredible. Throw some nice salted butter on a beautiful warm piece of bread. It doesn't even actually have to be warm. And not like a cheap piece of bread, like a really nice piece of Italian bread or French bread. Salt your corn and then butter your corn with that buttered bread, then you basically have like two meals in your hand. That's genius, Stanley. It's genius. Why why hasn't that caught on? I don't know, but maybe it will now. Yeah, I'm going to try it the next time I have uh, corn on the cob. You're also quite specific and picky about what pasta goes with what sauce. Yeah. Do tell. When you go to Italy... They're very specific. So if you say, oh, I'd love to have the bolognese, can I have that with star pasta? I mean, what they'll do, can you? Can I have that with pastina? You know, they'll just pick you up and throw you out of the restaurant. I mean, there are so many stories I've heard of, of, of restaurateurs, of chefs going, sorry, can't give you that. And the person goes, but I'm the customer. You're like, they go, not anymore. Get out. So what goes with what, Stanley? Well, let's say having learned the original recipe of bolognese, and bolognese is probably just one of the greatest sauces in the world. But the original recipe for bolognese is very, uh, quite different than what we know of. But it's normally served, both versions would be normally served with uh, fresh tagliatelle, maybe pappardelle, or even a a strong dried pasta like... um, uh, rigatoni or something like that. That because it's a, it's a substantial sauce, so you want something that's going to support it. Um, I would not do it with something like you don't do it with spaghetti. It doesn't work. And in England, they always have a, they have a thing called spag bowl, which is spaghetti bolognese. But spaghetti bolognese doesn't exist. And if you try to order that. In Bologna, no, it's not going to happen. You need to tell those those Brits that they're not doing it right. No, no, they're so not. <laughs> and and finally, um, there, you also talk about how to prepare Maine lobster, which is mm. something that that Kate's family put it would put together. Um, and I guess. There's really only one perfect way to eat, to prepare Maine lobster, isn't there? I think so. So you have to use the water from the, the waters of Maine, uh, the seawater, and seaweed, and do it over a fire in a big pot. Throw in those lobsters when the water's boiling. Put the seaweed on top. Put corn on top of that. Seaweed on top of the corn. Boil it for I have no idea how long six minutes maybe and take it out and eat it and it's incredible 
For more how-tos, recipes, and stories from everyone's favorite Italian stallion, go buy Stanley Tucci's book, Taste, My Life Through Food, which is out now. And by the way, we're officially in the publication month of my book called Going There. There's still time to pre-order. And if you'd like to join me on tour, you can go to ticketmaster.com slash going there to find out where I'll be traveling and to get your tickets. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements, Adriana Fazio, and Emily Pinto. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.